Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. There was a man from the Pharisees named a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Can, an, can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I have told you you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be? asked Nicodemus. You are a teacher of Israel and don't know these things, Jesus replied. Truly I tell you, we speak what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save him, save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The people love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed." But anyone who lives in the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. How do I know if I believe? That's the question that my son asked Casey and I one night as we were getting ready for bed. How do I know if I believe? His question is a really sweet and honest question of a young man who's trying to figure out, like, you're teaching me these things about God and about Jesus, and I believe you, but like, how do I know that I believe? I, I think it's a question that many of us have probably asked in some way or in some version. And uh, the story that we just read from John chapter three, Nicodemus comes to Jesus on a different night and asks some questions. And I think he's asking some of similar things. He didn't say it the way that my son said it, but he's, he's asking some similar things. And Jesus gives Nicodemus a starting point. It's, it's the starting point. In fact, that's the title of of. Today's message is starting point. We're beginning a series this morning called Made for This. 
And what we're going to do is we're, we're going to look again at the, the three kind of main purposes that we talk about as a church is to walk with God, it's to grow in community, and it's to live on mission. And we believe that every single person was made hardwired by God for these three things, to walk with him, to grow in community, and to live on mission. Today, we're going to start with the first one, walking with God. Now, in the past, when I've talked about walking with God, I, I looked at Genesis chapter 3. Do, do you guys know the story of Genesis chapter 3, right? There's the Garden of Eden, and God has just made like all creation, and he gets to the, that, that sixth day, and he makes the man, and he breathes the breath of life to him, and then he, he takes his rib out, and he makes a woman and we get this picture of what life was like in the beginning, and it's this picture where Adam and Eve are walking with God in the cool of the day. I mean, just imagine that, walking side by side, face to face with the loving creator of all things. And then they, uh, they're living in perfect communion. There was no, like, fight before God showed up in the garden. Does, if you're married, right? There was no like skirmish in the car on the way, right? It was like, no, no, they were in perfect harmony together. And they're doing the, the very work that God created them to do. It's like they're walking with God. They're living in community. I mean, they're growing in this, this perfect community and they're living on mission. They're doing the thing that God created. And this beautiful picture of what God originally Intended. It's the thing that he's designed us for. And honestly, the things that we struggle with the most, it's like whenever those are being violated in our, in, in our lives. And so today, I, I want to talk about the starting point. How do we know that we are walking with God? Uh, to do that, I'm going to use a tool called the three circles. Have y'all ever heard of this tool before, the gospel tool called the three circles? Yeah, a few of you? Awesome. It's a, it's a great tool that helps us know uh, how to share the story of the gospel. Now, if you're a Christian, if, if you've been a Christian for a long time, this is going to be like, I know this already, right? Here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to pay close attention because this is a tool that's going to equip you to know how to tell someone else how to find their starting point to walk with God. So in the first circle, we have God's design, it's, it's God's design, okay? This is what you and I were made for, that God has a design for our lives. Like a master architect, he has already planned out all the things that make our lives work. He has a plan for our relationships, for our parenting, for the choices that we're making with our bodies. He has plans for all of our lives, right? A perfect design. And you know the story of Genesis chapter three, where God's design is violated, right? The serpent comes into the garden and he tempts and he deceives and Eve and Adam, they take the fruit and then brokenness comes into the world. You see, we have this, this inborn propensity to violate God's design. And the, the scripture calls that sin, right? It, it's the thing in us that says about God's design, like, I don't think I want to do it that way. I want to do it my way, right? And each of us 
especially me, I, I can speak for me, has broken God's commands. And we violated his design. And it always leads to that second circle, which is this, brokenness. It always leads to brokenness. Brokenness feels like shame. It feels like regret. It feels like fear. It feels like emptiness. It, it's, it's that condition that all of us have experienced. And it's the condition that Nicodemus is in when he comes to Jesus at night to ask some questions. And it's in this place that Jesus gives him this starting point. And I, I just want to point out some things that he says are not the starting point for a walk with God. And I've put these in the first person because I just want you to, to kind of own this for yourself. So first, what is not the starting point for walking with God? Well, he tells them this, knowledge and agreement are not enough to save me. I'll, I'll say it again. In fact, I think I have this on a slide, James. Knowledge and agreement are not enough to save me. In verse one, we learn a little bit about Nicodemus that it says he was from the Pharisees and that he was a ruler of the Jews and he was a member of the Sanhedrin. So this guy is incredibly smart. He's a ruler. He, he's a Pharisee. He's very intelligent. He's very educated. And he has a lot of knowledge. In fact, so much so that he's a member of what would be similar to their Supreme Court. So whenever there was a matter about Jewish law that they were unsure of, they would bring it to the Sanhedrin and they would decide the matter. And he was a member of their Supreme Court. This man has lots and lots of knowledge. Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel. Are you not the teacher of Israel? And yet despite his knowledge, something is still missing. In fact, in verse two, we, we saw that he sees something different about Jesus. And he says, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God was with him. And so I'm just imagining that Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, who is all about the holiness of God, he's, it's, this is like, almost like a renewal movement for holiness. It, this was a, a social force in Judaism. And here's this man, and he's working so hard. He's following the laws, right? He's, he's you know, trying these, these cases and these matters. And yet he sees something in Jesus where it's like, there's something different about him. God is with him. And, and he sees there's something different between what he's doing and what Jesus is doing. He gives some uh, agreement. God's with you. And yet, he recognizes something is missing. Now, here's the thing. If you have a lot of knowledge, if you have a lot of education, that's not a bad thing, right? Jesus never says, woe to you who are educated. No, he never says that. Here's the thing. It's like um, my house, probably like your house, has a sidewalk that leads to the front door. And the sidewalk is helpful to get to the front door, but it's not the door to the house. And knowledge 
is like that. There, there's things that we know about God that help us know where the door is, where the starting point is, where the door to come into this relationship with God is, but it's not the door. It's not enough. And Jesus is making it clear to him that knowledge and agreement are not enough to save him. Now, here's the the good news, if you are not from a Christian background and you do not know much about God, guess what? That's not where it starts. It's good news, okay? The second thing that is not, right, it's not the starting point, is a religious heritage is not enough to save me. See, there's something going on in this story between Nicodemus and Jesus when he says, you must be born again. Now, to the Jews, they believe that because they were born Jewish from the line of Abraham, that they were automatically welcomed into the kingdom of God. In fact, it was popular at that time and widely taught that um, that that Abraham stood watch at the gates of hell just to make sure that none of his descendants accidentally got in there, okay? So these guys thought like, we're already born into this. We're the Jews. And Jesus says to him, it's not enough, right? Your heritage is not enough. He shatters the assumption that their ethnic identity secured their place in the kingdom of God. And he distinguishes that which is born of flesh, meaning you're from the line of Abraham, right? But you're not born of the Spirit. Um, It's often that I ask people if they're a Christian. And some people might say, I was born a Christian, right? Meaning, like, from the time I was a baby, I was in church and my, my mama drugged me to church on Sundays when I got older, right? I was there and I was around. Like, I've always been a Christian. And here's the thing. You know this. You can't be born a Christian. You can be born in a Christian family, but you're not born a Christian It's not enough to have a religious heritage in our lives. You might have pastors or ministers or prayer warriors or Sunday school teachers in your family line, and that's wonderful. And guess what? It's not enough to save us. But here's the good news. Some of you, you have zero Christian background. In fact, you have the opposite. Maybe you were raised by atheists or some other religion that you know, rejected Christ and Christianity, right? And you're like, uh, here's the thing. That cannot stop you from entering the kingdom of God. Because our religious heritage is not enough. The third thing that Jesus tells him in the interaction is that doing good works is not enough to save me. It's not enough. I, I, he doesn't say that out loud, but he's a Pharisee. And there was no one holier than a Pharisee. They, these guys were so serious about the commands of God that they would create commands around the commands just to have like multiple layers to make sure that you never got close to actually breaking one of God's commands. Right? It was like laws around laws. These guys were serious. And here's the thing. Nicodemus is a man who's serious about his holiness. And yet Jesus looks at him and says, 
you must be born again. It's not enough. It's not enough. And by the way, if you're self-aware enough to know that you've got some things in your past, right, that would be wrong, bad, sinful, then that's not going to stop you from coming into the kingdom of God. It's not going to stop you. You see, in that place of brokenness, it's in our broken place that we have these sort of attempts at things. And, and for this man, the, the attempt to deal with brokenness was like more, more rules, more, more law, more holiness, more, more prayer, more scripture, right? I'm, I'm, I'm embedding myself in this Jewish life. But for us, it might look different, right? I, I don't know about you, but... There's ways that we cope with the brokenness in our lives. One is that we, we might try to be a really, really great person or a really, really great mom or a really, really great dad. We, we, we could pursue money and stuff, right? We can numb the brokenness with alcohol, drugs, shopping, Amazon.com, right? right? There's, there's lots of ways that you and I cope with the emptiness, the regret, the shame, the condemnation, the fear, the stuff that is broken inside of us. And none of those work. They don't work. And here's the thing. Brokenness always awakens us to our need for a change. And I think that's what's going on inside of Nicodemus. He knows he's missing something and Jesus seems to have it. The Bible tells us where that thing comes from, right? It doesn't come from our efforts or, or it doesn't come from inside of us. It comes from what we call the good news, the gospel. It's that third circle. It's the good news about Jesus, and this is what Jesus shares. In fact, this story includes the most famous gospel verse on the planet. It's the one that's printed on the banner at the football game, John 3, 16. He gives him the gospel, and he tells him what is the starting point. And so I just want to look at that together. What did Jesus say is the starting point for walking with God? Well, here's what he says, and I don't know if this is going to confuse you or if it's going to clarify it for you. He says this, you must be born again. In verse 3, we saw this. He says to him, let me find it. Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is puzzled. Uh, how does that work, Jesus? Do I climb back into my mom's womb when I'm old? No, that's gross, right? Verse five, Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed. How can we help it? Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. And he gives them an illustration. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Now there's some things that are happening in this, in this moment is, is Jesus is saying, Two things. 
He's talking to him singularly, you singularly. But then he says this, you plural must be born again. Meaning this is something that's not just for Nicodemus. It's for all the people that he represents. And it's for you and me today. We must be born again. This word wind or spirit is the same word. The wind blows where it pleases. Numa wind or spirit. And he's saying, look, you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. You can see the trees blowing. You you can see that something's happening. And it's the same way with this second birth. And here's what you need to understand about the second birth. This is the ultimate power to change. If you need change in your life, this is what you need. It's the power to change. But have you ever tried to control the wind? Have you ever tried to catch it and tell it where to go? Doesn't work, does it? (laughs) We have no control over the wind. And Jesus is saying this, look, this is not of your doing. Now that freaks us out. You know why? Because we like to have control of things. But Jesus says this, you must be born again and this is not of you. We, we find this truth all over the scripture. For example, Titus 3, verses 4 and 5, it says, But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, meaning we didn't control this thing, but according to his mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That word regeneration and renewal is the same concept that Jesus is talking about. It's this secret act of God in which he imparts new life to us. It's a secret act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. And what happens is that we go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. Jesus didn't come to make Nicodemus a better person. He came to make Nicodemus alive. And you need to know that. The power of God is not about us just tweaking some things about our lives. It's actually to take us from spiritual death into spiritual life. It is a second birth. And just as you and I did not control our first birth, right? We were in a perfect, like, hot tub inside of our mom's tummy. It was so nice in there. Food just naturally absorbed into our bodies. We didn't have to even put our hand to our mouth. We were floating in water. It was so peaceful. And then all of a sudden, the jacuzzi, it it empties out real fast. And then some man takes forceps and grabs your heads and pulls you out of there, right? That's what happened. I've seen it happen three times, okay? I've I've got some experience. And I'm telling you, friends, God in his mercy and his grace, he he has this this thing where he intersects your life in a way where he brings new life into you and it just happens to you. It just happens to you. Now, I know theological ideas like that freak us out. But here's the good news about that. If you can't make it happen, 
right? If you can't secure that for yourself, then you can't lose that. Does that make sense? If you didn't bring yourself into the kingdom, you can't just, you know, be lost or, 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 you know, lost from his kingdom. Like God did something in you that was just uh, not of you. It's like he just came and did something in your heart and it changed you. And this is the change on the inside that changes everything about us. It's the ultimate power to change, to be regenerated, to, to be born again, born anew. I remember I was, uh, I was in high school. I was about to turn 17 years old. I was uh, about to go into my senior year. And I was sitting on the tailgate of my truck. And I had just done some things that I knew were absolutely wrong. And I was sitting there on my tailgate, and I, for whatever reason, I could just see, like, th this is not going to go well for me. Like, the path that I'm on does not end well. And I don't, I, I don't know what happened to make me have that thought, but I experienced for the very first time this thing called conviction. It's that inner desire to be right with God, and you don't even know why you have it. Two weeks later, I was invited to a camp in Colorado. And what I heard is that third circle, I heard the gospel. And I just, I just gave my life to Jesus. What was going on on the inside of me? The Holy Spirit was doing something to awaken me so that when I heard the word, I was like, yes. My wife and I were talking last night and she's like, you know, in college, she and her roommate were, um, you know, they were living the college life. And they both had this moment where they realized, like, we need to make a change. And, like, she had it, that feeling, and her friend had it, and they talked about, like, I know, I've been feeling the same. Like, I, I feel like this is, like, this is not going in the right direction. On that very day, this crazy, wacky, like, Afro redheaded man named Grant that was a part of our college ministry invites Casey to our, our college ministry and her friend on a separate deal got a water bottle with the, with the logo of our college ministry on the same day and they got home and they were like, oh, oh, weird, like we should go. And they came and guess what? God totally shifted the course of their lives. What was happening right there? God was doing something on the inside of them and it was not in their control. And I just want to tell you, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Born again. Born from above. The second thing that Jesus says is that I must decide to trust in him to save me personally. And so in verse 14 through 18, he gives him the, the, the creme de la creme of gospel verses, right? He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up by the way. That story is in Numbers chapter 21, if you want to go back and read it. And it's a short story. Israel is in the wilderness there. They've come out of Egypt. They have the manna that's been coming down, right? And they're going around the land of Edom. And uh, they start to get discouraged. And they start complaining. And they say, God, why did you bring us out? here to have us die in the desert and we hate the food here that's what they said now God 
that probably felt like how moms feel when you make dinner and like all the kids turn their nose up at it and leave the table and you find yourself making chicken nuggets again. Is that only my house? Okay, that's just my house. Lord, help us. God got angry. And he sent fiery serpents. And they were biting people and people were dying. Like, this is serious stuff. Like, God wasn't playing around, okay? And, but he, here's, here's what happens. Moses intercedes and God tells Moses, I want you to fashion a bronze snake and attach it to a pole. And if anyone, get this, looks at it, they will be healed. They just looked at it. And this is the picture that he's putting in the mind of this well-educated man. You remember that story about just looking at the serpent? Here's the thing. You, you need to look at me. I'm going to be lifted up. And, but he's not talking about this, you know, I'm going to have this big throne in Jerusalem and all the nations are going to be. No, he's like, I'm going to be lifted up on a Roman cross for you. And you're going to have to look at that. And when you do, something's going to change for you. And he tells him, you must believe. You know the passage, right? He says this, for God so loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I love this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Isn't that good news? But to save the world through him. You know, when we use the word believe, we typically mean, um, you know, like when your team's really bad. We, we've, we've had some teams like that around here. You have really, really bad teams. And what do the parents say? Just believe, right? Or, or your, your fellow like Cowboys fan or Texans fans is like, keep the faith alive, man. We're probably going to lose every game, but we're just going to wish away reality, okay? We're going to believe. That is not how the Bible uses the word believe, just so you know. It's like this. This is a chair right here. You know what a chair is, right? It's a chair. Whenever we were planting this church, I picked out these chairs. If you hate the chairs, I'm sorry, okay? They were cheap. <laughs> and here's the thing about those chairs. Those chairs, they're black. I like black, black's nice. And it doesn't show stains, which is cool. That's a nice little fact about this chair. This chair is foldable. It's very nice when you're a mobile church and you have to set everything up and tear it down, right? That's nice. That's a nice little fact about this chair. And this chair is rated for 650 pounds. I mean, that's kind of amazing for like a dinky little chair like that to be rated for 650 pounds. Like, that's awesome. And you know, in general, I really like chairs. Chairs are awesome. I don't even know where we would be without chairs in our life, right? I, every day I like to sit in a chair. I think chairs are wonderful, don't you? Chairs are great. I believe this chair could probably hold me. But Jesus uses the word belief like this. Trust. 
It's, it's to entrust yourself to the thing that you believe in. It's to let it hold you up. And when Jesus says, whoever believes in me, what he's saying is this, whoever will trust me. Like, will you let the weight of your life rest upon what I've done for you? Like, whatever's happening, good, bad, whatever struggles you have, will you trust me? He calls us to trust him. What are we trusting about Jesus? We're trusting his love. For God so loved the world. I, I, I don't know if you think that God's primary intention and motivation towards you is love. Maybe that's hard for you because of your brokenness, but the word of God tells us that he loves you. His, his motive towards you is love. His motive towards the world that we get frustrated with is love. In Galatians 2.20, Paul personalizes it, and he says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I mean, do you hear the ownership of that? To trust his love? Can you trust God's love that way? The, the second is that we're trusting his work, that he gave his only son. Right? Jesus never violated God's design, that first circle. He, he was sinless, he was perfect, and yet God chose to put all of my brokenness and all of my sin and all of yours and all the sins of the world, past, present, and future, on to Jesus. He did it all. He, he took it off of us and put it onto him, and then he took the righteousness of Jesus, the purity, the, the undefiled nature, and he just, he puts the righteousness right on us. I still, that still blows my mind. He did it all for you. Can you trust that Jesus has paid it all for you? And third is that we trust his promise so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. Here's what he says. If you will just trust me, you will never be condemned. When you leave this life, whenever that day comes, when you leave this life and you stand before God, he will say, come in. Wow. He will not condemn us to judgment in hell. He will save us and he will give us eternal life. And guess what? Here's the thing about that life. This life, it empowers us to recover and pursue. That's the next in the three circles, to recover and pursue God's design for us. I think I have a slide for that, James. To recover and pursue. His life comes into us. It's not just a life that happens when you die. It's a life that happens to you right now when you trust in Jesus. And so God does something to us that we have no control of. But then he says to us, we have a part to play. We choose to trust him. We make a decision of the will to trust in Jesus to save us. It's our starting point. That um, question that my son asked, how do I know if I believe? 
I think it may sound similar to some questions that you and I have had. For example, someone says, you know, they've had this incredible experience with God or the Holy Spirit, and you're like, hmm, I've never had that before. And then you start to question. Or there's people that tell you the day and the hour where like, man, that's when I received Christ. Like it happened right that day. And, and you look at your life and you're like, man, there, there was a, a, a season, a, a change, but I don't have that day and the hour. And maybe it causes you to question. Or maybe if you're honest, God's just felt really, really distant to you lately. And it's created questions for you. And here's what I want you to know is that you can know if you have been saved. You can know if you believe. And it's simply this, have you trusted in Jesus Christ to save you, to rescue you? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rind-church.org.